Welcome to Traditional Plus on American folk music and the legacy of Doc Watson. In this podcast, I'll be talking about traditional music, Americana, roots music, whatever you want to call it. It's the music that makes Americans feel nostalgia. You hear it on television. Maybe it has a banjo in it. Maybe it has a mandolin. Maybe it's part of um, a certain pop trend like the movie Oh Brother Where Art Thou or maybe it's country music or pop music, whatever it might be. It all has its origins back at the dawn of when records and radio came out and uh, one of the first people who brought traditional music to a new audience and, and combined it with pop music and, and all of the rest, one of those people is Doc Watson, who also innovated on the guitar, uh, was one of the first mainstream country musicians accepted by kind of uh, northern folk music circles. Uh, he was a young man in his uh, late 30s and early 40s when he was brought to a northern folk music audience and uh, uh, revered as if he was an old master, partially because his voice sounded like that. Uh, but if you listen to the way Doc Watson played the acoustic guitar, using techniques he had learned for, for two decades of playing by the time he was, in quotes, discovered by Ralph Rinsler, he was an incredibly adept you know, country music innovator on the electric guitar. Um, he played multiple instruments, uh, never talked about that too much, but brought all of that innovation to the instrument of the guitar, which at that moment uh, was kind of, you know, everybody was strumming a guitar in the early 60s. And Doc Watson took it to another level. Uh, he inspired everybody from, you know, Bob Dylan to, you know, the, the real roots of all the music that we're listening today started with Doc Watson and a few people like him. If you hear an acoustic guitar solo, that person traces their lineage back to Doc Watson and his technique. It's, it's absolutely part of the DNA of today's acoustic music and of, of huge figures in rock and roll and pop and every single genre uh, today. So this show is, in part, an experiment. I'll be reading parts of my book that I was fortunate won a couple of awards. It was a biography of Doc Watson that originally came out in 2010, and a new edition came out in 2012. Um, I've conducted many interviews since then and uh, have a lot of insights since then. Uh, uh, Doc Watson also um, has passed on since I wrote the book. Um, and so what will happen is I see this as a living audiobook. I'll be conducting readings from the book and talking around the edges and bringing some additional interviews and uh, thoughts into the mix. And I hope that if you're listening to this, that you send in questions and thoughts and uh, challenges uh, to anything you hear. I really would like this to be kind of like a living audiobook. And um, that's part of this experiment that uh, Sound Authors uh, Productions are meant to be. So audiobooks are awesome. I've always loved them. I listen to them all the time. But I see podcasts as being something that's just a touch closer to a living conversation. And that's what I'd like this to be, is a, a conversation about traditional plus music. 
So please join me and uh, I'm going to dive in. Thanks so much for listening and uh, enjoy. On a simple wooden stage in a newly built elementary school auditorium in New York City's Greenwich Village, Doc Watson, a handsome, blue-eyed, blind man with a sun-browned and craggy brow, wavy hair, and worker's hands, sat on a stool in front of a crowd filled with a who's who of Washington Square folkies and musicians. He sang into the microphone at center stage, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. With a handful of other musicians gathered behind him, humming soft harmony. Only a few blocks from this 37-year-old bard and his borrowed guitar on the evening of March 25th, 1961. The twin towers of the World Trade Center had not yet been built in Battery Park. Doc Watson's version of Amazing Grace would travel around the world to land again in New York City 40 years later in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, to be used as a salve and solace for an entire nation. A simple search of online videos yields countless tributes to fallen 9-11 police and firefighters, nearly all of them set to the moving melody of amazing grace. And memorial ceremonies each year are not complete without a bagpipe core tolling the long, somber, and majestic notes of the beloved hymn. Not unlike the bagpipes, Doc's singing that night was simple, straight, and true. He added no frills, displaying true piety and emotion as he shut his eyes tightly and sang the hymn's stanzas. John Cohen of the New Lost City Ramblers, who listened to Doc's performance of Amazing Grace at that March 25th, 1961 concert, said, I was in the audience, and I remember how moved I was by that moment when a blind man was leading us on those verses. Was blind, but now I see. From there the mythology about Amazing Grace grew. John Cohen continued, I think we all knew Amazing Grace before this, but it never had an impact. It never sank in the same way. With Doc leading it, it was this sweet, accessible tune. Some folkies had heard it before, but this performance brought the hymn into the folk canon to stay. Soon, The hymn was performed all across the folk music circuit, and within a few years, it had crossed the globe. People of every color and creed around the world now sing the verses and melody of the hymn as Doc first heard them as a child. The words to Amazing Grace were written by repentant slave trader John Newton in the 1770s, and the hymn was first published with the melody New Britain in William Walker's The Southern Harmony in 1847, to great acclaim, 
and was included in Walker's The Christian Harmony in 1866, the hymnal that Doc grew up with. Blind from infancy, the inspirational words of the hymn spoke to Doc even as a child. While talking about Amazing Grace, Doc said, When I leave this world, and these are my honest feelings, I'll be able to see like you can, only maybe a bit more perfect. The Greenwich Village audience caught a glimpse of his inner world that night in the elementary school's auditorium. As he sat on the PS41 stage in Greenwich Village, his family still lived in poverty. Doc, his wife and two children, lived off welfare and garden vegetables. Five years later, Doc had started to earn a good living for his family. He had completed a national solo tour, signed with Vanguard Records, and was now planning to record with country superstars Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs in Nashville for their upcoming instrumental release, Strictly Instrumental. But he almost did not make it to the recording session. Just after arriving in Nashville to start recording, Doc's appendix ruptured. He had been under terrible stress during his first few years on the road, traveling from town to town by airplane and bus, knowing little more than the name of the person who would greet him at the other end. He smoked cigarettes to ease the edge, but that did not help his health. He suffered from ulcers before, and now he was in a Music City hospital bed. When Bob Dylan had his 1966 motorcycle crash, newspapers everywhere reported it. However, unlike Dylan, Doc Watson was not yet a household name, and his illness went largely unknown. The family was left alone to circle his bed, praying that Doc would recover. Doc later recalled his morphine-induced dreams in that Nashville hospital. I was walking along by a big cornfield, just like I did when I was a boy, and I was barefooted. There was grass along there, and I could smell that green corn. It was just as plain as reality. As Doc walked out of the cornfield in his dream, some big bruiser monster or another jumped out of that cornfield and was going to kill me, Doc said. He fought for his life against the creature that had attacked him until he finally began to get the better of him. It's not hard to draw an analogy between the monster and the illness that had brought Doc to the edge of death. After waking from his morphine dream, Doc later described striking a deal with God from his hospital bed while he was still, quote, half in this world and sort of not. Doc felt the almost presence of God and eternity, the whole thing on one side of his body. And on the other, Doc remembered, Rosalie and the kids and the world as it is. With death on one side of his bed and his family on the other, Doc said, I'd like to get up from here, Lord, if it's your will, and work for my family, but your will be done. If it's not right, and if I shouldn't, whatever I've done wrong, you know about it, and I've lain it aside. After delivering his humble prayer, Doc said, it was like they lifted a ten-ton load off of my chest. 
The next time Doc confronted death face to face was two decades later in 1985 upon the tragic death of his son Merle. Guitarist Jack Lawrence witnessed Doc's last moment with his son's earthly remains. We had held up pretty well through this whole thing, Jack recalled, and it came to the end of the service and nobody had taken Doc up to the casket to say goodbye. So T. Michael Coleman took Doc up and Doc had his arms and head down on the casket, said goodbye, and he was crying. Lawrence and the other young musicians present watched as Doc laid his head on his son's casket and wept for his best friend and musical soulmate. None of them had imagined that this king of guitar could appear so small and frail. When they saw Doc with his head and hands on Merle's casket weeping, they could not help but also break down crying. Jack Lawrence recalled, At this point, Coleman and Merle's friend Cliff Miller and I just lost it. So here the three of us were standing around. We were all just sobbing. After Merle's death, Doc's friends and fellow musicians watched him return to the spiritual mindset of his youth. Supported by the pristine a cappella harmonies of the Nashville Bluegrass Band, Doc recorded a hymn called Did Christ or Sinners Weep for his all-gospel album On Praying Ground. And the emotions tied both to the words and performance are palpable. Did Christ or sinners weep? Then shall our cheeks be dry. Let floods of penitential grief spring forth from every eye. The Son of God in tears, the blessed angels see. Those tears were shed for everyone. They were shed for even me. Doc's baritone notes, recorded soon after Merle's death, quiver with sadness. On Praying Ground marked the beginning of the second half of the aging bard's career, and this sense of loss never left his music again. Arthur Lane Doc Watson turned 89 years old on March 3rd, 2012, two days after the revised second edition of my book was released. At the time, I wrote that he still performed concerts and he somehow continued to put together blistering flat-picking solos for his eager fans. But I realized that his time in the public eye was growing to a close. Blind But Now I See is a tribute to him, but also an invitation for students of history, guitar, culture, and fans of all ages and persuasions. Look at Doc's life and what he accomplished, and apply that same passion to your own goals and dreams. Just think of what Doc was able to achieve after the age of 37 when Ralph Rinsler first met him in North Carolina. Doc didn't want to be put on a pedestal, and this book, though reverent, aimed to fulfill his wish, and this podcast does the same. Doc was one of us, 
ultimately just someone who worked hard for his family, loved God, and became the best he could be. This is the story of the man, the musician, and the people and cultural surroundings that made his rise to greatness possible. Come on back for the next part of Blind But Now I See. I can't wait to share with you some of the process behind writing the book, some never-before-heard interviews with all the people who knew Doc, and a lot of rabbit holes about guitar, traditional music, singing, and all the rest. Take care, and I will talk to you the next time. Thanks for tuning in to Traditional Plus. This is a place where I'll continue to think about the words that I've written and the conversations I've had about Doc Watson, about traditional music, about the South and the North, about uh, the importance of folk music and country music, and uh, also about what's happening today in our in our lives all around us. I hope this is uh, the first of many conversations we have around these topics. I think this is what we need today is uh, intelligent conversations about difficult topics. And uh, I invite you to join me on the next piece of this adventure. Have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.